Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, my name is Christopher Price. Welcome back to another edition of the Patriots Report. Today is today is Tuesday, August 8th. We got two days before the preseason opener against the Texans. We're going to preview that game coming up. Cole Thompson, who works for ESPN Houston. We're going to talk a little bit about the Patriots. We're going to talk some about the Titans. What to expect from both sides coming into this game. Even though it's preseason, people are very, very, very excited about the start of some real football around here. But first, I want to talk about the return of defensive end Trey Flowers. Uh, We heard today he re-signed with the Patriots. He is one of a handful of guys, one of really latest in a long line of guys who have left New England only to return later in their careers. It's a group that includes Kyle Van Noy, Patrick Chung, I think Patrick Chung most notably, Ted Karras, Telly Bantacane, Deion Branch, Jamie Collins, Andre Carter, among others. I think it's a great pickup. Uh, depending on the money, I think it's a great pickup. I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm still blown away by the fact that Trey Flowers is only 29 years old. Feels like he's been in the league a lot longer than that. But yeah, he is. He's he's 29 years old. And I think he's going to bring something to an already powerful group of edge rushers that includes Matthew Judon. He had 15 and a half sacks last year. Josh Uche, 11 and a half sacks. And Dietrich Wise Jr., who had seven and a half sacks last season. So I think it's a good pickup. I think financially, again, I think it makes a lot of sense just to kick the tires on him, see if he's got anything left. I think you could use him as a situational pass rusher for this team that already has a really good set of pass rushers. I'm also a little bit curious if he is Josh Uche insurance because Uche is heading into the last year of his deal. And look, Trey Flowers is not the player he was two, three, four years ago. But, you know, it makes you wonder. They gave Junon a little extra money. They moved some money around, gave him some extra money. Josh Uche is coming up for you know, uh, on his free agent year and you bring back Trey Flowers, I, I think that this signing does not exist completely in a vacuum. I'll say that. So uh, a lot of guys at practice today shared a lot of their favorite Trey, uh, Trey Flowers stories. Um, he, he really, for me, when he was here, he was a fun guy to cover. Wasn't a terrific quote, but it was always a good quote. Would always tell you the truth. My favorite phrase when it came to describing Trey Flowers game when he was here initially, was he was just relentless. Absolutely relentless pass rusher. He just went hard on every single down when he was here. I'm not sure if he can replicate that in this day and age with New England. If, as a 29-year-old, he's going to have the same burst, the same sort of disruption, the ability to disrupt opposing offenses that he had a few years ago as uh, not an every-down pass rusher, but an almost every-down pass rusher. Maybe he's a situational guy here. Who knows? But if he can bring it with three quarters of the intensity that he had before, I think he'll be a very nice add to this team. The other thing that stands out for me about Trey Flowers was guys that I talked to, I remember the first time he was here, mostly offensive linemen marveled at his strength. 
absolutely just he gets his hands in you and it's all done. He did one guy called him country strong. I also loved how his football role model was Bobby Boucher. He told us in his first uh, press conference with us when he was drafted out of Arkansas in 2015, he said he actually grew up, fell in love with the game, watching the water boy. He just taught me to go crazy out there. So it's the return of Trey flowers. I don't think it's a huge seismic signing, but I think it's the kind of piece that could really help out this defense and add another layer to that pass rush, a veteran presence out there. And again, maybe long-term, he is Josh Uche insurance. We'll see. Anyway, that out of the way, let's preview the Texans-Patriots Thursday night game. The preseason opener for both teams. Cole Thompson covers the Texans for ESPN Houston. He answered all of our questions here. Hope you guys enjoy it. Cole, thank you very much for joining me tonight. I know this Houston team is a team with a first-year head coach, rookie quarterback, so really there's not a lot of precedent when it comes to how they might handle preseason action. But what are you expecting to see from from the Texans Thursday night? You know, it's a really interesting conversation, CP, because you look right now at what D'Amico Ryan said going into this preseason game. Every single player is based off of a certain number of snaps without expectation. So starters could stay in the game longer with second teamers filling in. A guy like C.J. Stroud, who was named the starter for this upcoming Thursday night, may end up playing three drives. But Laramie Tunsil, who we all know is going to be the franchise left tackle after signing the lucrative contract this offseason, may play one snap, or he may be inactive in this game. But that does not mean that he is not a starter. A Shaq Mason, who used to play in New England, could play one drive, and then he could be taken out. But Kenyon Green, going into year two with this offense, could play three or four drives, even if that means he's working with Davis Mills or he's working with Case Keenum. The same thing can be said about a lot of the younger players, Jalen Petrie, uh, Christian Harris, Derek Stingley Jr., because they are the foundation of this organization due to the fact that they were drafted by Nick Casario and they were drafted by people who are expected to be a long-term part of the process. So it's a very interesting conversation. I actually asked Nick Casario today, I mean, uh, D'Amico Ryan today, what is his philosophy on playing starters in the preseason? And he said that every single starter is a different outcome. We know right now that there are certain players who absolutely are going to see the field week one when Houston takes on Baltimore. But they may end up playing all the way through the first half. And then the other players, i.e. a Jimmy Ward, a Sheldon Rankins, players who really have a good nuance and experience of working in this man coverage style of defense, four-man pass rush up front, may play one snap, they may play no snaps. And I don't think that's a bad connotation. You're one of a new regime. From a Houston perspective, who are you most excited to see play on Thursday night? I'll give you two. Uh, I think right now, Xavier Hutchinson, the wide receiver from Iowa State. He was a six-round pick. CP, he's looking like an absolute superstar. The way that he is able to make routes easy, the way that he is coming up top at the point of attack. He actually said today that the one thing he wanted to work on was his deep ball accuracy. The kid has made three catches of over 25 yards downfield and made them look seamlessly easy. And the fact that he's doing this as a six-round pick out of Iowa a year after leading the Big 12 in receiving yards with a brand new quarterback. Because a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, it's just because if he had a great report. Hunter Deckers, who is dealing with a lot more problems right now than just Mm -hmm. the likes, what's going to happen with Iowa State in the Big 12, was the new quarterback. And it wasn't Brock Purdy. And 
Xavier Hutchinson led the Big 12 in receiving yards this past year. So I'm very excited to see what he can do. He's been working his way in with the ones while also playing with the twos. If he starts to have a very solid preseason, whether that be four catches for 50 yards or two catches for two touchdowns, there's observational view that right now he is going to continue to climb up that ladder and start only being synonymously linked with the first team offense. And defensively, it's another rookie, but I think Henry Toa Toa is going to be a really intriguing player. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who fits the Dre Greenlaw slash Fred Warner type of what you're looking for opposite of a Christian Harris. Christian Harris has been the linebacker one since the jump underneath D'Amico Ryans. He does not leave the field when they go with the ones. He is always in motion. He always is playing in coverage. And that's a really big difference between what you saw last year in Lovey Smith's zone coverage defense versus D'Amico Ryans' man coverage defense. They're allowing him to work in space, but you need to have a good thumper opposite of him. And Henry Toa Toa, from everything that we've heard from Matt Burke, the new defensive coordinator, from other linebackers like Denzel Perriman, Christian Kirksey, even Christian Harris himself, he is an IQ machine. And it's basically like he has the brain of an elephant, which Mm -hmm. is kind of funny because if he has the mascot of an elephant in Alabama. As an Alabama guy, there you go. But the reality is, is that he doesn't make a lot of mental mistakes. He learns on the fly. And the one thing that everyone has said is that he's a technician. He always seems to find a way to keep it locked somewhere up in his noggin and then not make the same mistake twice. So if he continues to do the exact same things that we're seeing in practice, these are two day three rookies that are going to carve out very niche roles in the defense early on. And the one thing that I will say about a guy like Henry Toa Toa, you need to be versatile for D'Amico Ryans. The more versatility that you can have playing Sam, playing Will, playing Mike, learning the coverages, being a blitzer, that's going to get you on the field faster. That Sam linebacker position is wide open right now between Christian Kirksey, Blake Cashman, and I do think Henry Toa Toa. So if he can have a very good game, these are two players who I think are part of not just the long-term future, but the immediate future as well. I did everything I could to speak the words Tank Dell, New England Patriot, into existence during the pre-draft yeah, process. Yeah, Marcus Jones. Come on, man. I know. I just, I, I, you, you fall in love with Marcus Jones and you want the, you know, a clone of Marcus Jones. Yeah. Look, it obviously didn't work. He ended up with the Texans. What can you tell me about how my guy has looked so far this summer? Speed, speed, speed. I can tell you this much. It's speed. Everyone tells me the exact same thing. He is a challenging receiver to go ahead and cover just because of that straight line speed. But the thing that a lot of the nickel defenders have noticed is that his quickness and agility at the point of the cut breaks. So Mm -hmm. he's done a very exceptional job of not losing that full throttle speed when he cuts in, when he cuts out, when he comes on a comeback, when he comes on a curl, and that allows him to win at the point of attack. Him and John Mechie both have done an exceptional job of winning with routes. But the difference between these two is that Mechie plays with a more physical style after the point of attack, where Tank Dells is going to beat you with speed. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where he fits in the offensive plan for Bobby Slowick in year one. It's very challenging when you are a five foot eight wide receiver and weigh 168 pounds to probably play on the outside against 210 pound cornerbacks. But very similar to what Marcus Jones did last year, they found a role for him on special teams from the jump. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, they started elementaling him in to the defense, to some offensive concepts, to allowing him to make plays because of what he was as a return man. It's going to be very challenging to see another player, especially when they allowed their return man from last year sign with Denver and Traymond Smith. And the way that he just continues to win, which is pure straight line speed, no one's really able to stop him. We're watching him plays and coverage. I know that it's not tackle, 
but you're watching in coverage plays him get roughly about 25 to 30 yards every single snap. So if he can continue to do that, he may be a third round pick that is very limited as a wide receiver, but he won't be limited on Texans special teams. The pain has been somewhat lessened by the arrival of Demario Douglas, the six round kid out of Liberty, who I think can do a lot of the same stuff. You talk about the great speed, the great short area quickness is the thing that jumps off the page for me when you talk about Demario Douglas. So Look, just just be good to him down there. Treat him right, okay? He's my guy. I would have loved to have seen him up here, but just wasn't meant to be. I want to ask you, though, there's a lot of expatriates on the roster down there. Yeah. There's, there's still kind of that New England flavor. It's still a little bit of, you know, Foxborough South down there in Houston. Shaq Mason, Dalton Keene, Chase Winovich. Who has impressed you so far over the course of this summer? Shaq Mason still has something to him. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because of he has a low center of gravity. I had to look up because I didn't believe he was actually six foot one when I saw it on the depth chart. I was floored that it actually was six foot one. So I had to go to the Patriot website. I went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers website. No, it's it's six foot one. And then you stand next to him and you're like, oh, okay, you literally look like Blastoise. You are a very small man that has a human body. He just does a great job of opening up running lanes. He's been very efficient when it comes to his pass pro. He does not allow a lot of pressures opposite of a guy like uh, a guy like uh, Titus Howard. And I think that's going to be really prevalent for this offense. You got to remember that the run opens up the pass for any Kyle Shanahan system. They love utilizing tight ends. They love utilizing two tight, uh, two running back sets with an off speed, uh, with an off back in the fullback formation or an H back, they love to be able to run the football. So you got to be able to have great protection up front. Shaq Mason has done that exceptionally well from the get go. And Kenyon Green, the white, the, the first round pick from last year out of Texas A&M was a two time all American. And part of the reason for his success was due to the fact that he was great in run blocking. So I expect to see him take a step forward, especially in that department. The thing with Chase Winovich is he still really hasn't shown anything, but it's not his fault. He started the year off on the PUP list and he just came off a couple of days ago. I will say he looks completely different than I remember seeing him coming out of Michigan. He's got this big grizzly beard at this point. He looks mm-hmm. more so like Robert Redford in that one movie that everyone makes the meme of it. This Jeremiah this, Johnson, right? Yeah. He's Jeremiah Johnson 2.0. Yep. But there is a reason why they brought him in here. He is a situational pass rusher. He did have exceptional numbers during his early stages against the run when he was in new England. So I think that there is going to be a niche role for him at this point. I think that the conversation goes to who is going to get that final pass rushing spot. Cause Will Anderson's not going anywhere. Jonathan Grenard's not going anywhere. I don't think Jerry Hughes, unless they get an offer on the trade market, he's going anywhere after leading the team in sacks. And then you have two spots between five guys who are fighting for it. And Jacob Martin, Chase Winovich, maybe the leaders right now, but by the end of camp, they may end up not being those guys. So I am very intrigued to see what he does against his former team on Thursday night. What's the public perception down there of old friend Nick Casario? It's winner take all. And I'm not saying that you have to win this year. I'm not saying that you have to make elemental strides of being the team that everyone is talking about, like Jacksonville last season. This is not a roster that I think is capable of getting to 10 wins. I think at best, they're about a seven-win team. And by seven, that means that you are vastly overexceeding expectations with the draft picks that you have on the roster, but also the draft picks that you've utilized over the last three years. And that's a really big point for Nick Casario because if he hasn't been able to work free agency in his favor until this past year, because of the situation that happened with Brian Gain and Bill O'Brien giving out these massive contracts to players who 
weren't viewed in the same positive light as other organizations, guys like uh, Whitney Merciless, who eventually was traded, and Zach Cunningham, who eventually was traded, and Eric Murray, and all these other players. So this is really the first time where free agents like Dalton Schultz and Devin Singletary and trading for Shaq Mason and giving him an extension are in favor of a Nick Casario. So he's making a lot of these draft picks. You got to see improvements from Derek Stingley Jr. You have got to see improvements from Christian Harris at linebacker. You have got to be able to start seeing Nico Collins thrive and turn into, at worst, a sufficient number two, at best, a low-tier number one. You got to be able to see what you get in Tegan Quintoriano, a good blocking tight end when he was coming out of Oregon State. You have to see Garrett Wallow make some moves on special teams. Because right now, I think a lot of people are giving him a pass because of what they did being hyper-aggressive to land a franchise quarterback in C.J. Stroud while also landing the guy who I can tell you right now I knew was coming to Houston for the jump, Will Anderson Jr. So landing both players, now you have to act on it. And because you also don't have that first-round pick, you have Cleveland's first-round pick, there is, I think, a little bit more trepidation on what the overall outcome has to be. You could have been a 3-14 and team this year and no one would have batted an eye because of a Marvin Harrison Jr. would have been made available or a Joe Alt from Notre Dame would have been made available mm-hmm. for Jared Averse. But when Cleveland is controlling your pick, you also have to realize you have to do whatever possible to make sure that not only are you trending upward, but you're also hurting the chances of a team like Arizona to land a player that also you were coveting when going into the draft process. Last question for me, how much is it going to burn Houston fans if even in the preseason, a Bill O'Brien coached offense puts up 28 points. I think if you had DeAndre Hopkins, it would hurt a lot more. I think that that would just be, I think that would be just the complete and total screw you middle finger. Like it it would be back to back dude. Cause you got to remember the very last thing in Texans memories is Lovey Smith helping his former roster get the number one pick and they didn't control the draft board anymore. And the next game they face off against would be the other coach that they had give them two birds with the wide receiver that was an all pro who at one point said, I don't want to be on this organization with this man. Hello, kumbaya. We find a way to work together. Two touchdowns later with Mac Jones leading the charge. Hey, we're walking away victorious. So I don't know. It's, it, it's very interesting, CP. Like it's like, I think at this point, they're so mad at how everything unfolded. And you also have to realize that as bad as Bill O'Brien was as an executive, he still is one of the top coaches that ever uh, ever worked for the organization. He just made a lot of dumb moves as an executive. And he made a lot of dumb moves at the very end of his tenure that ultimately led to the downfall and the trepidation of where Houston's been since 2020. But I, I, I just... You don't have DeAndre Hopkins. If you throw D Hop in the mix, it is a straight up middle finger. Anything possible that could happen. I, that would have been the worst. That, that would have been, been the worst. That would have been so bad. I honestly think that D Hop, even though he is a multi All Pro, multi Pro Bowler, would have said, "I want to play in this game just to get two times." <laughs> like, and he would, like, he would have been the best part. CP, he would have played unless they were inside the tent, and then he would say, "No, nope, I'm lining up in the slot. Let me take on this guy." Give me the ball real fast. I'm going to truck him, get in the end zone twice, double burn it, and then call it a day. That would be <laughs> Cole, this is Dynamite, man. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk. Patriots, Texans, preseason opener. Let people know where they can hear you and where they can follow you on social media. 
You can always check out my work at Sports Map, uh, at Sports Map Radio at ESPN 97.5. I do fill-in work over there. I do work with the, the, the show Just Saying It. You can check out my written work on FanNation.com. And if you really want to go ahead and wake up for the wee hours of the morning, I'm on from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. every single Monday through Friday. And you're on, you're on Twitter at Mr. Cole Thompson, right? At Mr. Cole Thompson. Perfect. Thank you so much, my friend. And I look forward to connecting with you at some point over the course of this season. We will make it happen, CP. Thanks again for having me. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. One more reminder, you can keep up to date with us at Boston Globe and bostonglobe.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at cpriceglobe. We're going to have all the action for you from Gillette Stadium. I hope to do another podcast later this week, maybe Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday afternoon in the wake of the Texans Patriots opener. So we'll see about that. But in the meantime, I hope you guys are well. Take care, and I'll talk to you again very, very soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.